If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. Everybody say this with me. Say, Good Friday. One more time. Good Friday. You guys are so, this cooperation is beautiful. All right, Good Friday, April 14th. We're going to be at the pack. Who knows what the pack is? Throw up those hands if you know what the pack is. If you don't know what the pack is, that's the Performing Arts Center at the high school. We're going to have a Good Friday service. There's going to be some drama type stuff going on, not the typical drama that goes on at a high school. Real dramas, right? Some acting going on. And there's going to be uh, the worship team is going to be there. And uh, there's going to be a night of worship celebration rallied around the cross of Christ. So I say that to say, um, if you don't have plans, please join us Good Friday. If you do have plans, cancel them. That's simple. All right. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to get after it. God, we love to talk to you because we know you always listen. God, you're attentive to your people, to your sons and daughters. You are concerned. Lord, it's, it's beautiful that your word says that you know what we have need of before we ask or think it, God. Lord, before we even begin to contemplate on our needs, you are aware And God, we also believe that you're working all things together for our good. So no matter what we walked in here with this morning, God, Lord, in some way you are working to make it beautiful, God. And God, we pray this morning as we dive into a text, God, an interesting text of Scripture, a a piece of Scripture that should challenge our hearts and and help us to be, God, um, aware of sometimes our own sinfulness, sometimes our own pride. God, I pray that you would help us to joyfully submit to the cross this morning, to the gospel, to the power of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us that we can't do for ourselves because we believe you're the greatest of all time. We believe there's none like you, there's never been any like you, and there will never be any like you. You were infinitely better than anything we could experience in this world. So God, do work this morning. It's as simple as I know how to put it. Do work. In Jesus' name. Everybody together said, amen. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why does John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come that the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. I think it's interesting here that Jesus answers a question about fasting with uh, a picture of a marriage, a picture of a seamstress, and a picture of wine. So we're going to walk through this together. Number one, it was a peculiar question. See, in the Old Testament, if you look through the laws, there was a day that everyone would fast. It was called the Day of Atonement. There was a day in in Christian history where everyone together would, would actually fast. It was the Day of Atonement. And then the Pharisees come along, and the Pharisees are like, you know what, we understand that the day of fasting that's set aside, and just if you're not very church, the Pharisees are kind of like the the holier-than-thou, I'm sure you've never met anybody like this, but like the holier-than-thou, uh, super-religious church of Jesus' day. 
Pharisees come along and say, you know, I know that we, we do the fasting on the Day of Atonement, but we're going to start fasting once a week. So not only are we going to fast on the Day of Atonement, but we're going to fast, and in, in, in their context, it's going without food, only drinking water. We're going to fast one day a week. And then someone came along at some point in, in traditional rabbinical literature and Jewish history and said, you know what, not just one day a week, we're more holy than you, we're going to fast two days a week. You think you're spiritual, watch us, we're going to fast even more than you fast. And so what the, the fasting had become for the Pharisees is this motion, this thing, this action that they participated in really to show their piety more than they did to show their love and affection for God the Creator. They ask a peculiar question. Jesus, why, why are your disciples not fasting? Why are you not? This is what they were really saying. If you see it in the text, if you can kind of feel the tension brewing. Jesus, your guys are supposed to be so spiritual. Jesus, you're supposed to be some spiritual leader. Why are you guys not fasting? You can see their chest kind of poke out and their nose stick up in the air. Like some church folks are really good at. Well, if you were so spiritual, you'd be fasting. If you were so spiritual, you'd love God like I love God. If you were so spiritual, you'd worship God like I worship God. If you were so spiritual, you'd pray like I pray. Hear me when I say this, because as much as I want to focus in on the text this morning, I don't want to read anything into the text, but this is a reality that we are tempted to wrestle with in modern-day Christianity. We come to know Christ. We get in a pattern, a routine of serving Christ. We enjoy certain types of music. We enjoy certain types of preaching. We, just, we enjoy certain types of church. But sometimes, if we are not careful, we find company with the Pharisees because we fall in love with these things more than him. That's what had happened to the Pharisees. It happened to the disciples of John. And I hope you see the significance here. They were in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. They were in the presence of God Almighty, God in the flesh. They had the healer, the redeemer, the fixer, the mender, Christ the righteous in their presence. And you know what they were caught up on? They don't do it like we do it. They're not worshiping like we worship. They're not serving like we're serving. Hold on a second. So Jesus is sitting at the table. And all you're concerned with is the way they're worshiping. Christ Jesus is available for the forgiveness of sin. And think about this. These were, these were some bold guys. We've already seen Jesus. There was a guy on a mat who couldn't walk. Jesus was just like, walk. He walks, leaves, right? They know he's powerful. They know he's mighty. The Pharisees, over and over, you'll see it in the text, they just poke him. If you're so righteous, if your disciples are so righteous, why don't they do church like we do church? It's one of my great fears, even in my own life, that I get so caught up in my, my own prayer life, my own Bible study, my own times of worship, the way that I like things, that I miss the fact that Christ Jesus is sitting in front of me. See, Jesus shows a picture there's these two ladies in scripture, one's named Mary and one's named Martha. Anybody ever heard this story? Comes straight, straight from the word and Jesus is sitting there and, and Martha, she's running around the house. She's preparing dinner. She's preparing all these things. She's making sure everything is in order and she's busy, busy, busy doing things for Christ, doing things for company, doing things for the disciples. She's so busy that she'd missed the point of the day that Christ Jesus was available to her. 
and she could sit and spend time with him. Can I just confess to you today that sometimes I fall into that boat? Sometimes I get so busy with doing things for Jesus that I forget why I'm doing them. Have you ever been there? We forget the purpose and the point of our affections. We forget the, the, the source of our submission and glory, Christ Jesus the righteous. See, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha became frustrated. She's lazy in her mind. This is lazy. She's just sitting there. She's not doing anything. She's not doing what I'm doing. She should be doing what I'm doing. If she really loved Jesus and wanted to really serve Jesus, she would be doing what I'm doing. And aren't we guilty of that sometimes as a church? Listen, I'm just being real with you this morning because I always want to be transparent, but here's the reality. Once we come to know Christ and we start following Christ, sometimes in the Christian faith, we think that everybody should act like us, think like us, sing like us, preach like us, serve like us. We try to make this carbon copy of what a Christian's supposed to look like. The reality is, is God wants to fill his kingdom with all kinds of people, with all kinds of giftings, who worship in all kinds of different ways. You know what Jesus said about Mary, the lazy one, sitting at his feet? She's chosen the good part. She's chosen the good thing. Martha, I know that when you get home today, you can, you can put pins on your mirror and you can pat yourself on the back. You gave Jesus a meal. You served Jesus. You ran around and you busied yourself with a lot of business uh, of the disciples and you, you took care of the house. You can pat yourself on the back. But you know what Mary did? She prized the relationship over the performance. She prized her relationship with Christ Jesus over her performance. I just want to sit with him. I just want to draw near to him. I just want to know him. This morning it was a peculiar question to Jesus. Jesus, why don't they fast? And Jesus gave a peculiar answer. How can the, the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And on that day they will fast. It's interesting, I, I said it earlier, but... The, the Messiah is not referred to as a bridegroom in the Old Testament, but there's all this wedding imagery. And this is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Basically, he's saying this, you've missed the point. Like you're so caught up in your own religious activity. You're so caught up in your own church attendance, your own tithing, and your own stuff. You're so caught up in your own thing that you have forgotten the most important thing of all. I am here to party. I'm here to party with you. I mean, think about it. Think about it for a second. Christ Jesus is available to them and they totally overlook it so they, they can keep on with their religious activities. But the disciples had chosen that they prefer a relationship with Christ over religious activities. Today, we live in a culture where religious activity and religious tradition will not last. For nine years straight, the, we'll just take Southern Baptists, put it on our own heads. For nine years straight, the Southern Baptist Church, numerically, has been in decline. Nine years. Why? Barna Research, statistics say, not TJ's opinion, but statistics say that we have fallen in love with our preferences and our modes of worship more than we have fallen in love with seeing the lost one to Christ. In essence, many in the church, in our church and churches that fill this country, have turned into Pharisees. And rather than enjoying Christ Jesus and the righteousness that he gives, rather than being lavished in the grace of God, 
being redeemed and forgiven and celebrating the reality that Christ Jesus is with us, we have gotten caught up as a church and as churches in religious activities, checking boxes. Christ Jesus doesn't want you to check your box. Checking the box is awesome. Hear me, hear me when I say this. If you're in a relationship with him, you'll joyfully check a box without even knowing it. He don't want you to balance your spiritual maturity off of what you do and how good you are. Your relationship is based on how much time you spend with him. Are you loved by him? Have you received the love of Christ? Have you received forgiveness from him? Are you enjoying the fact that Christ Jesus wants to sit with you? <laughs> Man, can you see it? All these church people around Jesus. Jesus, you're not worshiping like we're worshiping. That's cool. I'm going to confuse you with some stuff about some wine skins and some wedding feasts. I'm just going to hang out with my boys. Essentially, Jesus was unpacking the reality that there's no reason to weep while the king sits at the table. There's no reason to despair when the sovereign Lord is sovereign over your life. There's no reason to fear and doubt this morning when you know that your life is secure in the hands of the master. The disciples would be, not be burdened again with ritualistic worship when they could celebrate in the presence of their Savior. The Pharisees and John's disciples were so busy keeping up with tradition and religion they'd missed the point and purpose of all of their doing. The point and thrust of the text for Jesus was not that to focus in on fasting but to focus in on the relationship. Jesus wants a relationship with his people. Jesus made a way. I want you to hear me this morning. We were all sinners. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we, we've all blown this thing. We've messed up. But Christ, because of his great love for us, while we were yet sinners, went to the cross and died for us so that he could bridge the gap, so that you and I could have a seat at the table so that we could have relationship. And hear me when I say this, there is no amount of religious activity, church attendance, tithing, serving, there's no amount of any of that stuff that can win you favor with God. That's the point, I want you to see that. It's only the blood of Christ. It's only trusting all of who we are to the perfect work of Christ Jesus on the cross. At that moment, we are healed, forgiven, and set free. Hear me when I say this. Guilty is over our head, but the moment that we surrender our lives to Christ, justified, forgiven, redeemed is over our head. No longer bound by who we were or what we've done. We've been set free in Christ. But sometimes this is what we're guilty of. We get set free in Christ, we come to know Christ, and we've been entangled with tradition and religion. We get entangled with, well, I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, rather than being entangled in grace, rather than being overwhelmed by the gospel, rather than daily going back to the fountain. It's not about what we can do for Christ today. Hear me well. It's not about what you can bring to the table for God. 
It's 100% about what Christ brought to the table for you. It's completely about what God can do for you. And this is what I mean. We cannot earn or gain our salvation by anything that we can do. But God gave us salvation through the person and work of Christ. This morning, do not get caught up in religious activity and miss the point of our worship. Don't get caught up in singing songs and forget who you're singing to. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? They will, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. I love this piece of scripture because it shows me a few things. One, it shadows the reality that Jesus is going to be taken away from his disciples. It shadows the reality that the bridegroom was going to be taken away. And then in this, I see Jesus setting up this beautiful reality. There will be seasons, there will be moments in our lives while we are sitting at the table and everything is beautiful and we have total confidence in our King Jesus. And then there will be moments that we walk through an absolute winter. Has anybody ever been there? One day you're on the mountaintop, everything seems peachy, everything's wonderful. And the next day it's like you're, you're in the bottom of the valley looking up saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anybody been there? This is a reminder in Scripture that, that there will be moments that we do walk through. And I want you to hear me. There will be days, there will be times when it is springtime. I mean, the flowers are blooming, birds are singing, everything is, turkeys are gobbling, and everything is right with the world. It's springtime, baby. But then there are days where it's winter and our faith walk or our relationships, maybe even our job, our finances, our, our friendships, our family life, it just feels like winter. And we look to the trees to see some beauty and they're just barren. And we look to the field and, and it, it sounds and feels much like Habakkuk chapter three, 17 through 19, where he said, though the fig tree does not bud and the olive branch may fail, Though there's no fruit, there's no food out in the field and there's no sheep in the, or cattle in the pen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, Habakkuk got something that I hope we can see this morning. There will be seasons where we look around and think, man, there is nothing left. There is only brokenness. Habakkuk was there. This is what he was saying. There's no food in the field. There's no, there's no animals in the stalls. There's no, the fig tree has a bud. The olive branch has failed. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Why could he rejoice? He didn't have anything. Everything that he had was gone. It was barren. Because Habakkuk had the same thing that these disciples have. Though they could lose everything, and by the world's standards have nothing. If they had Christ, they had everything. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, the olive branch may fail, there's no food out in the fields and there's no sheep in the pen. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because he's enough. He's enough today. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old is worse and the tear is made worse. And 
No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. I want you to see this picture this morning. The, the, the Pharisees and the disciples of John ask an extremely peculiar question. And Jesus gives really three peculiar answers. And he closes with this picture of new wine going into old wineskins. And I fear when I, when, I, when I think about the Pharisees in this, in, in this text, when I think about the disciples of John, I think about myself sometimes. I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I, I get in a rut. Maybe I'm by myself and that's okay this morning. The Holy Spirit can just preach to me. But sometimes I get in a rut. Sometimes my faith walk becomes stuff I do. I just want to be transparent with you. Sometimes I go through the motions in life. There have been seasons where I've walked through the motions. And what I've realized is I've allowed the, the wineskin of my heart to grow old and content and stale. There's been moments in my life where, God, I'm going to do it this way, and I want it this way, and this is going to be my plan in my life. And, God, I'm not going to budge. And the wineskin of my heart has become fractured and brittle. And God desiring this morning to pour new into our lives. Hear me when I say this this morning. You may come and you say, TJ, that's me. Church has just been a routine. Coming to church has just been a routine. I've been stuck in a rut, man. I just can't really get out. And I feel just fractured and broken. If that's you this morning, I want to just breathe a little hope. Jeremiah chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to me and said, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there you will find a potter and a work wrought on the wheel. So I arose and went down to the potter's house, and there I found him. The potter at work with clay on the wheel, but the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Anybody know what marred means? It's messed up. The potter was working, the potter was, the, 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 the mold, the clay was pliable, but the clay was marred. He found a lump, he found a, a fracture, he found some imperfection in the clay. Hear me this morning, you may be at this place, your heart may be like old wineskin, God desiring to do something new, but you are no longer pliable to God. I want to give you hope, listen. I love that Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, it doesn't say that the potter was frustrated with the with the lumpy clay, he was frustrated with the flat, the fractured glass. He was frustrated with this. He had so many dreams for this piece of pottery, and but because it was marred, because it was fractured, because it was messed up, he threw it aside to look for some better clay. The clay was hand, and the, the clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he threw it over his shoulder and went to find a perfect piece. That's not how the text reads. It says that the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So you know what he did? He made it again. He mashed the clay back up. Started over. Mashed the clay back up and started over. There's an imperfection. There's a crack. There's a lump. Mashed the clay back up. Started over to perfect it. This morning you say, TJ, I'm unusable, man. I'm, I'm just an old wineskin and I'm in a rut in my walk. And man, I just feel brittle and broken and fractured. Hear me when I say this. God can and will make you anew. He's not going to discard you in your brokenness. He's not going to get rid of you in your fractured state. He will make you anew. So 
So I wonder what it would look like if his church, if his bride, if his people said, God, would you mold my heart? God, I want to be used by you. God, I know I'm fractured. God, I know I have baggage. God, I know I'm messed up in some areas. But you, would you just make me anew? Make, make me, God, make me new. So that you can pour whatever you want to pour into my life and so that I could be used for the kingdom. Make me new. What if that was our corporate prayer together? What if that was our individual prayer this morning? God, make me new. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the gospel. For the beauty and the reality that this thing isn't about religion or tradition. It's 100% about relationship. And you made that relationship possible on the cross. Lord, for those that sit in the room today, God, Lord, who have sat in my seat where I've been many times, God. Fractured. Broken. Feeling in moments unable to be used by a good and glorious God. I thank you for the text reminding us that you do not discard us, God, when we are fractured or broken. You do not throw us away, but you make us new. So, Lord, would you do it this morning? God, for those hearts in the room that are, before they even speak, crying out to you, God, would you make them new? For those in the room that don't know you and don't have a relationship with you, God, Lord, would you make them brand new? Lord Jesus, allow our heart to be pliable in your hand so that you might pour into us whatever you desire so that we might serve you in relationship. God, we love you and we thank you in the precious and perfect name of Jesus. Amen.